cut a line, uh, peel it off, and then repeat. And then I'll make decision on site based on almost purely formal balance and composition and how the lines were turned to make it like visually interesting so that I can be lost in, or the audience can be lost in the waves. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 179th episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Taro Takizawa, who just completed his MFA degree from Syracuse University. He's also recently been working in Los Angeles for the past few months, and we're going to be talking all sorts of printmaking and vinyl wall installations coming up, so please stay tuned for that. I would like to note that Taro was chosen as one of our MFA competition winners from last year's competition, and our new competition for 2017 is open, but it's closing May 31st, so if you are currently or recently enrolled in a BA, BFA, or MA, MFA degree, you can apply. So again, students, get those applications in. Visit studiobreak.com, and you'll find there is a page labeled Student Competition. Again, it's very simple. You just submit a website, or you can send an artist statement and 10 images and include a small fee. And again, all that information is on Studio Break. Of course, this is the last week, so please help us spread the word to anyone that would be interested. That includes students, peers, and once again, we want to see lots of applications, so send them in, keep them coming. If this is your first Studio Break visit, I just want to encourage you to check out some of the other episodes that we've had. Again, each of our posts have images of the artwork as well as links to the artist websites and these candid interviews where they break down all of the things going on in their studio, their evolution. And you can, of course, listen right on studiobreak.com or you can go to the iTunes button and subscribe to the podcast there. Studio Break is in social media, so please be sure to like our Facebook page. You can, of course, follow our Tumblr account at studio-break.tumblr. You can also tweet us at Studio Break on Twitter. And I've finally joined the land of Instagram, so you can find me there at David Linaway. And with that out of the way, here is our interview with Taro. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Taro Takizawa, how are you? I'm very good. Uh, pleasure to be here, definitely. Yeah, and I know, again, we've been kind of ping-ponging back and forth here, currently wrapping up your degree at Syracuse and mm -hmm. working out of L.A. this, uh, I guess, this past year. So I'm glad we yes. can finally make time. And, of course, um, you were one of our Studio Break winners from last year's competition for the MFA category, and you're completing it now. So mm -hmm. it's all come full circle. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. Well, to get, maybe start with a little bit of background, again, you were not originally from uh, Syracuse. Uh, and again, to kind of look through your your CV, you studied in, in uh, Michigan. So where, where are you originally from? It seems like you kind of moved like around, you were around 18. Born and raised in Japan. I was raised in a city called Muroran in Hokkaido, that's the upper, the northern island, not the main island in Japan. Then I got out of high school, uh, moved to Michigan, going to uh, or start going to Central Michigan University. And so I, I guess it, it's cliche, and maybe just to kind of read some of your own words, this is something that people have been asking you about differences and, you know, something that essentially you've kind of 
I guess, researched a bit to kind of inform your own work, you know, like, like that kind of history. But in terms of just like a, a cultural shift, I don't know, was it something that was kind of like a big impact? And I guess I'm specifically thinking about it with art making. When you came to the to the States, to Michigan, mm. did you like already know back in like I think 02 it was um, that you wanted to study art or that was an interest? It was definitely my interest. I think art was or art classes back in school was my I'll say my best subject always <laughs> that I was always 100% engaged and always doing more than I could do or trying to do more in the class than anyone else but then moving to the US was something or like a different motivation cuz I grew up in a family that's my mom's American mm-hmm. and my but my dad's Japanese and in the house there was always English and I knew that both of my parents were studying or my dad also studied in the US for a little bit. So naturally I was thinking, okay, I'm gonna in a way do the same thing on my own after I well when I get a chance like go to college in the US. So that was my motivation, I suppose, to get out of the country <laughs> or uh, or at least get out of my town and explore and see the world. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, and you kind of mentioned that, like, you had already kind of been engaged in in making an art classes. Um, is it pretty, like, I guess, traditional, or at least in kind of comparing the differences and maybe like coming up in the arts? I'll say I never got a formal art uh, practice back in Japan because okay. I was just going through, or I I just went through until high school, and I think at that point I was more focused on my English classes and whatever my high school life, and. Going to art school in Japan, from what I briefly remember, like because I was thinking about going to art school, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very technical base as far as I remember. Before getting into art schools, you have to nail all these drawing techniques or or designs or three D, as far as I remember, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. It was a little bit shocking when I came over to the U.S. and started taking art classes that it wasn't so much about technique. I guess I guess it was part of it when I was taking foundation classes, but it seemed like it was okay that you're not totally technically tuned in mm-hmm. to your, uh, I don't know, foundation classes like drawing or 2D, 3D design or painting. So that was a little bit of um, a huge difference that I saw. Mm-hmm. And but then I didn't go to um, art school for as an undergrad anyway, so that could have been different if I went to somewhere has a had a bigger art program. When so when you started in Michigan, I guess um, was that like a like had you had some sort of experience that brought you to it, or like a a class or anything like that that kind of like solidified that decision? Like, ah, this is something I could pursue a, as a living. It's like I uh, always had it in my mind that I my best thing that I can bet on was my art. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, I was really sure about that. When I started taking academic classes in Central Michigan, and I just went through some required classes, and by the time I had to decide for uh, picking up a major, and that's when I decided, okay, I got to go for this. Um, back in Japan, when, I think I don't know if the students in the u.s does this but we write a letter to yourself 
like 10 years later yourself um, and uh, teacher will send it to you when you get 20 years old for, for example and mm-hmm. I remember writing a letter just like a couple questions like are you in a, are you on are you doing art now like something like that mm-hmm. and I was questioning myself like in sixth grade and I received that letter I think I was 20 years old that I when I was around and that kind of like reassured me okay this is what I wanted to do since I was little that's really cool. <laughs> I wish I would do stuff like that more. No, that's an interesting idea. And I think, um, again, to just kind of draw that connection. So it's always something that was there. So so to think about it, like in terms then too, like that six-year-old self, I mean, were you always then just kind of drawing just like any anywhere that you can? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, same. I'll say it's like most of the same was all the other art students that I've met. Like they were always drawing since they were little. And I basically have the same story when my mom mentioned that I'll stay quiet and occupied all day if she gave me a piece of paper and, I don't know, whatever drawing mm-hmm. uh, materials that we had lying around, like ballpoint pen, pencils, crayons, coloring pencils. And I was, I'll be just drawing nonstop. So when you when you started your degree then, was printmaking something that kind of like jumped out immediately in, in terms of some of those um, introductory classes or maybe afterwards? Because again, that seems like, I don't know, like a language unto itself past drawing, but you know, it's, it's yes. weird because every time I talk to anybody that does print, there's just so, there's like a, a real technical know-how that's very specific to the person, you know? I had some print experience in my uh, art classes back in Japan. But I totally forgot about that. And when I was thinking about my art degree after like going through some multiple foundation classes, and I think I was just thinking about, okay, I gotta, I'm gonna do this, but then I don't wanna be poor. So um, I was thinking about like going for graphic design, just something that I thought it'll get me a job after graduating. Mm-hmm. One of my faculty I was talking to, he's a painting faculty, he mentioned take a print class before getting into design because that's like a old school graphic design, basically. That's why he said. And I was like, okay, I'll try it out. And I took a semester or the first intro class in print in Central Michigan University. And it was really, I remember it was really, really difficult than any other classes that I was doing really, really challenging, and I was not happy. <laughs> Towards the end of the semester, I start kind of getting it, how much attention I need and how much how much time I have to spend on each project, and I kind of start picking up, and I think the last project I did, like, a Lisso print, and I spent so much time drawing on the stone, and really, be, I was really careful, like, processing the stone, like, etching, and printing them and that gave me a grade of total or that my entire semester grade became a minus mm-hmm. and before that i was warned that i won't get a from my faculty mm-hmm. <laughs> and i think that excitement and achievement really locked me down to print did you have a lot of like different printing techniques that you kind of were able to explore then afterwards in different classes in my undergrad my faculty was really careful about not sticking to one 
technique. Mm -hmm. it, it goes for printmaking one, printmaking two, three, four, five, and so on. And the first two or three classes we were doing, we were always doing, doing different techniques. We will jump around um, from etching, relief, lithography, screen printing, and some other alternative uh, printing methods. So there was always something new uh, in uh, every assignment we were doing. So I feel like I did a lot of different things, technique-wise. In terms of then the the subject matter that you were kind of exploring, the there's a, a piece on your website, I guess that's representative of the the final piece for your BFA exhibition. Oh yeah, and it kind of incorporates, you know, like a I don't know, like a really interesting kind of color scheme. But then there's also like these kind of representational landscape elements um, mixed mm -hmm. with these kind of like patterns and design. Yes, is that kind of like typical of like what what you were working with at least kind of at the end then towards the end of my undergrad, I was kind of settling down to a technique called reductive relief printing. Essentially, uh, block printing was, uh, instead of multiple blocks, I was using one block and work reductively until some people call it suicide block because once you carve out and print, then you kind of go back to the previous layer. Mm -hmm. So it was my way of being efficient and was doing a relief print, I was definitely looking at the Japanese block prints from 16th, 17th century, uh, ukiyo-e prints. And my idea was basically doing or like rediscovering my culture through printing. So I was picking up elements that you can see in the old prints. Um, so I was interested in architecture some like flowers that you kind of like see in textile design and prints and whatnot in uh, our Japanese prints. So it was very much about my culture, uh, heritage, and more more of a visual like um, representational work. Well, and that's something that you kind of describe somewhere again in your in your work or portfolio or mm -hmm. somewhere that you kind of like had to almost kind of like discover it because you didn't have as much knowledge, you know when you when you started studying it you know as a as an artist yes definitely because when you live in somewhere it, i don't know maybe it's a teenager thing you don't care or you don't <laughs> right. just pay attention to your surroundings you just what's important for you is your life with your friends or school or, or and family i suppose and once you get out from your comfort zone and especially if you move to some somewhere like diff totally different, then you have to be knowledgeable, I suppose, about your own background. Mm -hmm. In a daily conversation, people start asking like, oh, so you're from Japan, then what it's like over there. Or if I do an artwork about my, showing my cultural heritage, then like people will have to ask like, so what's this or what's this all about? I noticed that I have to be more knowledgeable. So then that's when I start looking into i suppose history and culture i'm kind of curious like like were there any artists specifically like at the time that kind of i guess brought more of those contemporary concerns or like an idea that you could kind of merge the two or was that something that you kind of discovered or thought about you know like it was a process that you kind of discovered on your own i guess well i was certainly looking into and i still like looking into contemporary japanese artists I'm not like actively searching, but whenever I come across someone who's doing something 
that I like, then I'll look into what they're doing or like what kind of path they went through. I think undergrad, like I was looking at Takashi Murakami. Of course, he was one of the, and he still is one of the famous Japanese artists. But I was definitely looking at people who were doing also in a way like similar, like reinterpreting the uh, traditional images into contemporary work. Well, and it seems like, again, like for the, a lot of the work, there's like that design element, you know, that, mm -hmm. that seems like it became, I don't know, something that you certainly kind of noticed and kind of like really kind of pushed. Is there something, I don't know, it's interesting to me because like, again, there's like this level of like living now where um, we kind of get used to interacting with media, like in a way that might be like kind of more flat. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that also kind of like, maybe jumps out to me too, is there's like this play between like this design element that's flat into these kind of like representational, you know, spaces or settings or, you know, components. Mm -hmm. And is it just like a purely formal kind of, you know, thing that you kind of like became aware of and, and then slowly started to develop it into your own language? I suppose it is purely formal. Uh, especially if I talk about my pattern work that I do in prints and my walls, mm -hmm. It allows me to think or solely focus on composition and balance and the flow. What else? Maybe gravity, um, that sort of stuff. It Or not think too much about other things, but just really focus on uh, the those like very simple fundamental elements. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, and I'm curious because, you know, again, part of part of my interest is thinking about it relative to like like a timeline. So in terms of like your studies, then you, you graduate um, in 2011. Did you did you kind of know like immediately that you're going to move on to graduate school or did you take any time off or? I knew that I wanted to go to get an MFA. Mm -hmm. I think at some point undergrad, I was realizing, OK, I cannot just get a BFA and be done. Uh, there's more that I want to explore and also wanted to kind of like get into teaching to, in order to, to support myself. I think that was what I was thinking. So towards the end of undergrad, I started applying to grad schools and I got into a couple, but um, I think I wasn't, either I wasn't ready and I'm glad that I didn't go for it because going straight to grad school from undergrad, I don't think it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. I kind of sticked around, stick around for a little, and then I finally had to get a real job to, <laughs> so, so I can pay my bills. So I moved to Chicago. I always wanted to move to Chicago and, like, live there since I was in Michigan. And that's what I did, and I'm glad that I was able to do that because, A, I kind of proved myself that I can work in a – I work in a logistics company office. And, <laughs> and that's something totally – I wasn't expecting that at all, but I, I was able to prove myself that I can just get a job. Well, it's, and again, I think it's like a reality too, you know, like, again, I, I kind of took a little bit of time off in between undergraduate and graduate school. And I worked as a, as a framer at Hobby Lobby mm. and, uh, <laughs> you know, like there's a, I guess a practical side of it. Like you're thinking like I, you know, like I became very technical at, you know, cutting mats and putting things together, but like there's uh -huh. a level of like, I don't know, lack of satisfy. you know what I mean? Like you want this next level of something. Yes. Yes. And again, it makes sense too, like relative to like what you're talking about to kind of, 
you know, live a little bit too, and then and kind of build up some experience. Yes. And so you started then in 2014 at, at Syracuse. And did you, was there anything particularly that kind of drew you in? I had a colleague who went to Syracuse from Central Michigan. Mm -hmm. So I knew about the existence, but nothing more. I didn't know about how they were big in sports until I got in. I had a chance to meet one of my faculties in Chicago. Um, SAIC, they have a national portfolio day every, I think it was in October. Mm -hmm. I went there two years in a row, and my second year, I met my faculty there. Uh, just a coincidence, I didn't know she was going to be there. But um, I saw the Syracuse booth, and I walked in, and I was my portfolio, and we had a really good conversation, and she liked my portfolio. And that kind of became our unofficial uh, interview, mm -hmm. and she waived my... Uh, application fee so i was like okay it's not gonna hurt me <laughs> sure sure <laughs> to apply so i just i applied and i got in so it, it just kind of like happened uh right there i wasn't chasing after uh in like a particular school i was more like wherever that kind of like leads me then i'll go like so you know when you're starting again the I would imagine that there's like a lot of, um, you know, like challenges in terms of maybe some of those, I don't know, like if people don't think that your work is progressive enough. So what, what did they do to kind of, I guess, uh, shake it up in, in terms of getting you to think about, I don't know, different ways that you might work and, and different things that you could bring to that kind of language that you've been developing already? I was really encouraged by multiple faculty members who were, in a way, who was okay with me doing what I have been doing. Mm -hmm. So, for example, like printing. I was just making prints. And they said it's okay to just doing that and hone what you already have. But I was also motivated to explore and find out what, I, what else I can do, like how I can expand my practice and my art so naturally i was trying to do a little more but i was taking like a smaller steps and like going back and forth i'll do something totally different and i tried to pick up some new knowledge and then i then i go, kind of go back to printing how do you say i got feedback what i got to print and then again do something different so i always feel like i go back and forth between my now it's my wall vinyl series, but like if I do something on the wall, then I kind of try to do it in a smaller scale in a paper. I realized it was a great, I had a great faculty member because they were always encouraging and supportive in whatever I do. They were trying to give me ideas like what else you can do or well, and in terms of the the wall pieces, then was there like a, a an initial idea that you? I guess explored that kind of showed you that that possibility in, in terms of how it could also kind of be, I guess a a different thing entirely in some ways, you know, because it mm -hmm. really kind of pushes that idea of that overall kind of like design on the wall. Um, yes. So how did how did that evolve? I think in my first, I'll say first year, I was more because I had to pump out a lot of prints in order to do this uh, floor installation that I did. So I was cutting some corners and 
taking out some steps in my prints and make so that I can print faster. Mm-hmm. So I was making one print every week, and that was really fast for me. And I noticed how I enjoyed how efficient I can be. I think that's when I was like kind of like getting into, okay, how can I be efficient like financially and also just time-wise. And my faculty, Holly Greenberg, who actually I met in Chicago, she introduced me to wall vinyl. Or she's, I, I guess she's just suggested me in my, one of the studio visits like, that she used that before in her own uh, show to have like a big strips of shapes in her in the wall with her prints. I, I I don't know what I don't know what it what she actually did, but she kinda used it and she suggested that I can that I will try that material and do what you're doing on a block but instead of a block on the wall. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think instantly I understood that how this is it was a I'll say like good for me because I was always looking for how can I uh, expand my scale, and if I continue printing, which I could could have done still, and I just had to print out large prints and just kind of like put it together somehow and cover a wall. Mm-hmm. But this one, I was able to just slap the vinyl on the wall and start cutting. So it eliminated multiple processes if I was sticking with printmaking and allowed me to start working on the wall immediately on site. And I saw that was really efficient. So to kind of like remove it from the context of just like the, the print, um, you had this, uh, this piece with the, with the fish kind of like elements being on the floor. And then you kind of like literally they become more of that shape on the wall with these house forms. So they kind of, I don't know, get more removed from being like a, um, like an illustration of something and more like a the thing itself, you know, like the thing on the wall. Mm-hmm. It seems like that might be something that helped transition into the more just formal pieces then where they become like these big patterns on the wall as opposed to, you know, having that representation of something like a house or a fish mm. or something. That was the very first one that I did. So I wasn't sure what I was doing mm-hmm. and... I was just trying to like give this material a try. So when I was thinking about like, okay, what am I going to do? And I just thought about revisiting the print that I did in my, the last print for the BFA show, the one you talked about earlier. And I was thinking about that for some reason, thinking about, I think I was thinking about like just fragments of memory, nostalgia uh, back at home. And I just start working on the wall and referencing from my own print. So the center is my house back in back in Japan, and a couple others that's on both sides were just like the neighborhood or our neighbor houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was just thinking, figuring out how to work with this material. Well, and so it seems like that was something that was you know like an important realization or like. I would imagine there were people that responded to it pretty well. I think I was showing in progress work. It wasn't 100% finished. So mm-hmm. my head wasn't not 100% wrapped around with like what I'm going to talk about, what I was going to do. A lot of my critiques are like that. I'm like not super articulate. So there's usually a lot of questions and there's usually a lot of suggestions that I don't even want to mm-hmm. 
<laughs> take. <laughs> sure, sure. People just like throw things at you that what they want to see right. or what they will do. And that's just the nature of how the critiques go sometimes. And me be not being verbal and articulate is another, I suppose they will say my fault that I cannot lead the critique in a good direction that I want to be. Still, I'm more focused about the visual impact, I'll say. So visually, I was making sense that this scale-wise and the material, I was pleased with the outcome. I think that's when I noticed, okay, I'm going to, so I had to like work with this so to figure out like what's what else I can do. So that's kind of like how it started. It seems like the next big then piece then that's kind of like fully removed from that context maybe is this unknown landscape piece from from last uh, was this like last last year then? It, it's been a year. I think I did that uh, in the falls, no spring semester. And it's obviously much larger too. Yeah. Yes, that was the largest piece uh, that I've done. In a single wall. I've done a larger surface, but it was in a room, and this one was like a single piece of wall, and it was really, I'll say, I'll say it was really challenging because I never done anything that large, and I was sure, like, okay, sure. what am I gonna do? And it kind of happens when I start cutting, then my basic idea is like, I'll cut a line, uh, peel it off, and then repeat. And then I will I'll make decision on site based on almost purely formal balance and composition and how the lines were turned to make it like visually interesting so that I can be lost in or the audience can be lost in the waves or the lines when they're looking at it or even when they're like walking past by the wall, it'll become visual and also physical experience that it kind of like hopefully stop them for a second. And so they can look up on the wall and like not on, on their like phones. And mm-hmm, I see a sure. lot of people walking around with their phones, but if they can uh, realize or like, or stop thinking about like whatever they were doing and just, look at the wall. So when you're when you're thinking about these are are you kind of envisioning something in your head or is it kind of more like what you described like it's all in like an intuitive process that unfolds cuz I would imagine again just like even the scale and the process of it's got to be so different than uh-huh. working smaller but I guess if you just scale up it's essentially that. <laughs> I suppose I'm envisioning but I'll say like it's only like 20% that's in my head and it's really cloudy that I see like a blurb or a a shape or a composition that I kind of want to do. And I'm when I start working on the wall and I don't draw or project anything, as you were mentioning, it starts unfolding as I go for that particular piece. I know that I wanted to have a horizontal line to represent that it breaks from landscape to atmosphere. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that was one thing that I was really clear about when I started. And therefore, I was separating two different patterns from organic, like the wavy pattern on top. And then it looks more like a 
mountains or landscape on the bottom strip. I don't know. What have you learned, I guess, in the last year in terms of thinking about it? Is it kind of, you know, changed in terms of, I don't know, that initial maybe idea that you had or initial experience with it? Or is it something now where you're kind of like thinking about it project by project? You know, how am I going to make this different? Or, you know, like allowing that, like each project to inform the next one? I think each project informs the next piece is pretty accurate Mm -hmm. like for example i've been doing uh, ink drawings in la instead of prints because we don't have a printing facility in the studio and ink drawings have been interesting because i never fully done it in the way that i'm doing now i'm just basically like drawing lines (laughs) on a large piece of paper and because it's not a block that i'm carving and it's a ink and a brush and i cannot just like draw a perfect line from one side to the other side of the paper. Mm -hmm. I have to like, I have to reposition my body. I have to dip my brush into the ink again. And so there's a lot of all these breaks, uh, inconsistency, I'll say. And those, those breaks in the repeated lines kind of like start showing up in the wall that when I did my first wall and, Paulus Verdi's Art Center, I basically immediately saw like those practices that I did in the studio kind of like reappeared on the wall pieces. So at the beginning of the year, is, it, is that when you went to LA to kind of, I guess, essentially do your, your graduate work or like your graduate thesis show, I guess? So Syracuse University has this uh, sort of like a satellite residency program in LA, London, and Berlin, as far as I know. And there are a few other places that I've heard rumors, but nothing is, I suppose, solidified yet. But we send grad students to these locations for a semester. And as kind of like a residency setup that you go, you make work, you engage with the local art scene and somehow start making connections for your art career and I suppose for the program as well. Mm-hmm. And I should say I got picked as a group, and I came over here right before the spring semester started in January 11th, so it's 12th, I think. And yeah, since then, I've been living here, and I'm almost done. You've already kind of mentioned that you already had a limitation in terms of, you know, having to change your work, essentially, just because you don't have access to maybe the same kind of space or like, Mm -hmm. you know, print, print making you know, equipment, I would imagine that's also something that's kind of reassuring then because you kind of talked about that even with the the undergraduate work, kind of being able to be adaptable to different techniques and processes. Mm-hmm. Has that, that's got to, I don't know, that's got to have been something that's been helpful. Yeah, definitely. Um, because even if you go to a print shop, no print shop is exactly the same. There's always different ty- type of equipments, different type of uh, inks, or um, so you always have to, in a way, improvise. And thinking about my practice and my career, like I knew that, for for example, if I go do like a residency, I knew that there are a lot of residency that doesn't have a print shop, but I still want to like go and apply. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another idea I was thinking about when I was doing wall vinyl pieces, because essentially that can be done anywhere. But printmaking is really specific. I need to have some specific facilities. 
in a way, in my mind, I was developing other studio practices so I can do it anywhere if I don't have a print shop, for example. Well, and it's interesting to think about the differences, you know, you know, because like in one in one practice, you're kind of like cutting away and removing, and then in another mm-hmm. one, you're like adding, you know, the po- you know the positive shapes that you're drawing back into it over the top yes. of the surface. So it's kind of like a weird <laughs> weird relationship in some ways. Yeah, but um. Since I'm mostly interested in relief printing, which is me removing materials from the block, essentially. So when I'm thinking or when I'm thinking about my mark making, it's mostly reductive or I enjoy the way if it's reductive. I prefer, even though I'm not doing it now, but I prefer drawing on a black sheet of paper with a white pencil or white marker that um, some, something about the idea of removing has been really interesting in my mark making. So I usually prefer Sharpie markers over charcoal, for example, um, just because I'm more, in a way, used to or attracted to the bald lines. It's kind of like being able to make something that's permanent too then, you know, by work, by learning this different process or kind of like adapting it in a different way, you know, to be able to work on a 2d surface. I mean, that's something that again, you can roll up and ship, uh, even if it's oh. costly, you know, to uh-huh. have these 2d works as well. Uh-huh. So it's, that's also kind of an interesting relationship between the two. Cause I'd imagine then, you know, when these vinyl pieces come down there, it's gotta be a little sad. Yes. But then I already have accepted, uh, or even before I start, that I already know it's going to go down. Mm-hmm. So I just, I think I enjoy the idea of being on temporary. And then I just kind of think about our lifestyle temporary. Just just basic things that i kind of aware of. Even works on paper is not totally permanent. I, can't, I guess it, it can live like hundreds of years. But um, if, you, if you're not careful, like it'll decay. So it's just basic things that I'm, in a way, interested in. And I wish it was more... <laughs> I suppose I wish it was more permanent. Sure. I suppose I can work digitally if I, like, document it. Then I have a file, but then I'm not sure if that's also count as permanent. Mm-hmm. And so it just adds more excitement, I suppose, when I start a wall. Every time it's going to be something... Br- totally new or not totally new but not the same it's, it's not the same because it's size specific so it gives me more joy working on the wall that knowing that it's going to be something there's going to be some new discovery or something new that i will encounter and it's not going to be permanent so it's in a way it's more precious for me but then it's not precious because <laughs> it'll be discarded once it's uh once it gets becomes a time of um deinstall. So I guess just to kind of like think about where you're at now then, I mean what's what's on the, the horizon? Do you have it sounds like again ambition uh you know to kind of show and you know do residencies and things like that. Are there a lot of things that you have coming up that you're applying for and, and opportunities and things like that? In my third year I start putting together my job application because first thing I kind of like thought about is like applying for a job so I can <laughs> again pay bills. So I've been applying to schools, basically everything that I could find online. I'm basically just waiting to hear back from 
uh, places that I apply to at this point. And then I never had a backup plan, but now my faculty mentioned that I might be able to teach as an adjunct back in Syracuse. So that's one thing that kind of made me a little feel better. Uh, and then the work-wise, we have an open studio today <laughs> in our studio, uh, Angels Gate Cultural Center in San Pedro, where they have multiple studio spaces. They say there's around like 50 artists in the location, in the ground, and the entire place is open up today. So like, I'm going to head there this afternoon for that. I have two shows that I got my prints in. One is in Houston, Texas, Nicole Longnecker Gallery. This is end of this month, May 20th to July 1st. I'm reading this out out from my um, website because I just updated it the other day. I have a print in there. I have another print. This is going to be in Chicago. Uh, Spadnik Press is a print shop there. And we had a... We had a same exchange portfolio uh, for the Southern Graphics Council. It's a printmaking conference that happened in March. And our the portfolio I'm in is going to be shown there. But after it's being shown in the conference, then it's traveling to Spadnik Press in Chicago. That's June 16th is opening. And I think it'll be going on till August. And I have another wall that I'm going to do in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And this is going to happen at the end of June. I'll be there in uh, Living Arts of Tulsa. It's a, I think it's like a art community arts center, but I'm not sure. I, I got this from my uh, CQ's grad uh, alumni who I kind of connected with, and he suggested that I should apply for this opportunity. And so I did. And then, now I have a wall to work on. <laughs> Once I get back to Syracuse, then I have to start planning on getting to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and do another wall. I guess you're you're kind of right exactly where you need to be for at the end of graduate school. You know, you've got mm -hmm. all these ideas, and it's just a matter of getting getting your work out there and you know exploring. So, well, where yes. can people find your work too? Because again, I, I believe that you're you know in a number of. Uh, I think you're on Instagram and you got websites. So why don't you just uh, go run through all those real quick too, so people know where to find your work. Now I'm primarily uh, active on Instagram, I'll say, which is my full name, Taro Takizawa. And at the end, you just are, add RT, so art. I will upload stuff like once in a while. My Twitter, I just like retreat a lot of cat photos, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and... And it's primarily in Japanese, so like I'll tweet in Japanese most of the time. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's relevant, but you might be able to find it interesting. Or just Facebook. I haven't really done much in Facebook recently, but I post photos once I get a cluster of photos that I should upload, and I'll upload something once in a while. And I'm always sharing links to opportunities or shows that I'm interested in or that I think it's relevant for certain people. Yeah, it might be nice. Uh, to see that. <laughs> and and your website again, if you could remind everyone. I, I usually just Google my name. Um, <laughs> but it's cargocollective.com slash Taro Takizawa. Awesome. Well, again, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to speak with me today. 
Yes, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, David. Thanks once again to Taro for joining me. You can check out his website, CargoCollective.com slash Taro Takazawa. And once again, a couple of shows. He has work at the Nicole Longnecker Gallery in Houston, Texas through July 1st. He's part of a portfolio exchange that will be part of Spudnik Press's uh, presentation. Again, that'll be opening June 16th if you want to check out that work. And he'll also be doing a wall installation at Meyer South Gallery in Living Arts of Tulsa in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That opening reception is July 7th and runs through July 21st. As I stated at the earlier part of the show, Taro was chosen as one of our MFA competition winners, and our student competition is now open to all BA, BFA, MA, MFA students. Again, that could be currently enrolled or graduated within the last year. Again, go to studiobreak.com and learn how to apply. It's quite simple. Send a web link or send 10 images and an artist statement and a small fee. It's quite simple. Go to studiobreak.com and, of course, spread the word. If you know friends, peers, students alike, tell them about this opportunity and tell them to apply now. Again, deadline is May 31st. As always, if you like the podcast, please check out some of the other ones. Again, we've got a big archive. You can visit it at studiobreak.com and go month by month. You can also subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. So click that iTunes button, subscribe to the podcast there. You can always leave us feedback to help us out or just help spread the word via social media. So once again, please like our Facebook page. You can, of course, follow our Tumblr account at studio-break.tumblr. You can send us tweets to at studiobreak. And it's always nice to hear from folks. Of course, I do want to thank Skylar Mail, who provides the music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork. His website is SkylarMail.net. If you'd like to see some of my work, you can visit DavidLinaway.com, or you can finally follow me on Instagram as I join the land of uh, the living. So please check me out on Instagram. I'll be sharing images of my work as well as new podcasts and things like that. So follow me there. As always, I hope that you enjoyed today's interview. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you real soon.